Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. Lord, I praise you that where your people are gathered, your presence will be manifest by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so as we gather, Father, our prayer is that you'd make your name great among us, that you'd show off your power among us, that you would stir us, transform us, raise us up for your glory and for our good. And so as we gather in this place, we do so with great confidence that as we come to your word, we will hear your voice. So look on us and grant that we would hear your voice and respond with faith and obedience. And Lord, we know we're not the only church in town. And I wanna thank you for Pastor Corky and the people of God at Georgiana United Methodist Church. Lord, we thank you for their partnership in so many gospel endeavors throughout the year. Thank you that we get to come together, not under the name of Baptist or Methodist, but under the name of Jesus Christ. And to display to this community that there is more that unites us in Jesus than would divide us as denominations. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Corky and his friendship. Father, you uh, probably would be the only one to know just how much he has meant to me for so many years, and I thank you for him. And God, I pray that he would be filled with joy and gladness today in Jesus. Raise him up in the power of your spirit and use him to declare the riches of your grace in Jesus. And may the people of Georgiana know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask all of these things in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Something that we're not ashamed to declare openly as a church is that we believe in prayer. We desire to be a church that is marked by consistent, fervent, spirit-filled, faithful praying before God the Father. This week, as a matter of fact, part of your information guide includes some uh, prayer points that we wanna encourage you to pray through, actually out of the passage of scripture that we will be studying. I'm asking you to lay aside every day this week to be praying and fasting as God leads in your life for the work of Jesus among us. We believe in the the work of God released among his people through prayer. Um, April 1st, we'll be starting a 21-day prayer journey as a church that will lead all the way up to Easter Sunday morning. We're so excited about that. It's called Pray 21. Look forward to teaching and, and forming our thoughts in that season. We want to be a church that's marked by biblical prayer. We believe that prayer is essential to the Christian life and the work of the church among the earth. And, and I realize that's not a unique statement. As a matter of fact, um, I don't know anyone who would say that they believe prayer isn't an essential part of the Christian life. T to the extent that I have non-Christians in this community who approach me and ask me to pray for them and the things that are going on in their life, even though they don't believe in Jesus they know that I do, and they, as, as non-Christians, believe that prayer is a part, an essential part 
of the Christian life. And as you look at the scriptures, there's good reason to believe that, right? We find over and over again, example of the lives of people that God most used in the history of the world that are marked by prayer. Jesus himself, when he lived on this earth as a man, lived as a man who was dedicated to prayer. When you go through the New Testament, you see in the writings of the apostles and in the early church that prayer is a constant and consistent theme of the lives of God's people. We see example after example of prayer being a part of the people of God. And even more than just giving us examples, the Bible actually gives us some specific teaching on prayer that has some mind-blowing implications. For instance, one of the ways that the Bible describes prayer is that prayer uh, not only releases God's power into the lives of his people, it's a way in which God's people can be confident in front of him or in his presence. So for instance, 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the requests that we have asked for. That's crazy if you think about it, right? That if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the very thing we asked for. And he says, that is our confidence in prayer. It's a powerful word. Hebrews chapter four verse 16 actually says that we should draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. We're to approach not only consistently to the throne of God as his people, we are to approach confidently before his throne as his people. I believe that with all of my heart. And that's what makes this next statement for me feel so sad. Well, I don't know anyone who would say that prayer isn't an essential part of the Christian life. I know very few people who pray with the kind of consistent confidence that you see described in the word of God. As a matter of fact, I've been blessed to disciple dozens and dozens of people over the last 20 years of my life. And I have discipled people who have primarily grown up in the American church. And I have yet to disciple a person who says from the earliest age, they were taught how to pray with the kind of confidence the Bible describes. The exact opposite has actually been my experience. Most people say, I don't pray because I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I know there's some extreme where people pray with this kind of confidence that seems outrageous. They demand that God give them the yellow Ferrari or the private jet, and that feels outrageous to me. That doesn't feel like confidence. And so how can we as God's people not only pray consistently, but confidently? And the question that I want us to ask this morning in light of that is how can we pray with confidence? The kind of confidence that the Bible describes, the kind of confidence that draws near to God's throne and believes, is convinced that God hears us and we will have what we've asked. How many of you guys would like to pray that way? I pray all of you will in light of what we see in God's word. Let's go to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four. And I want to show you a passage of scripture. And I just... I want you to know ahead of time, my prayer today has been that by the power of God's spirit, you would learn how to pray 
with confidence in the presence of God and that that would be a catalyst for consistent, fervent prayer in your life. Acts chapter four, just while you're turning to Acts four, we're gonna start in verse 23. Let me give you a quick background. This is happening just a couple months after Jesus was crucified and rose again. We, we know that he ascended back into heaven after spending several weeks with his followers, giving them kind of last instructions before he ascended. And after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came upon God's people and they began to live with boldness and power in the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John went out into Jerusalem in the power of the Holy Spirit and began to declare that Jesus is Lord and that he's risen from the dead. And of course, that caused quite the stir there in the city of Jerusalem where Jesus had just been crucified a few weeks ago. And so as they declared that Jesus is risen, people began to believe that Jesus was alive. And so those religious leaders who were the ones that had Jesus crucified in the first place, they have Peter and John arrested. They bring Peter and John before them. They threaten them basically to do to them what they did to Jesus if they don't knock it out and they release them. And Peter and John go out and they respond in a a powerful way. Rather than going and hiding or running away or stopping, they go back to the church and they choose to obey God rather than man. They don't form a strategic planning committee among the church to see how to deal with corrupt government. They, 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 don't, they don't run away and hide or bury themselves underground. They don't do that. They, they come together as the church And they pray. And what we see in their prayer is that it's marked by the kind of confidence that the Bible describes for us as God's people. And what my hope is, is to just walk through this passage so that you would see how it is they pray with confidence. What it is about their praying that gives them confidence that they are asking according to God's will and will have the request that they ask. So let's look at Acts 4 and see what there is for our learning today. Beginning in verse 23, it says, when they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, why why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of God for us. That's, that's quite a prayer meeting, isn't it? The place in which they're gathered is shaken and all of them are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and continue 
declaring the word of God with incredible boldness. This church prays, and when they pray, their praying is not marked by this vacillating hat in hand, all shucks, I don't know if I belong here kind of praying. Their praying is marked with this confidence that they're coming before the throne of God. And the way they pray, and I want you to see this in just a moment, the way they pray is marked by something that is is nearly audacious in their boldness. And as I was praying over this passage, there were a few things that, that stood out to me as patterns that we actually see throughout the word of God that can give his people confidence. And so, so as I asked this question, God, how are these people praying or what do we learn from their praying that give us, that would give us confidence as well? There were several things that jumped out to me and here's the first thing. You notice this, they pray in light of who God is as he's revealed in his word. They pray in light of who God is as he's revealed in his word. Look at verse 24. The first words of their prayer are this, sovereign Lord. They start right off the bat, sovereign Lord, a declaration of who God is. Sovereign means that he's in control. Now let me ask you this question, of what is God in control? everything. You know why? Because he's sovereign. He's the sovereign Lord. Now, the question that should come into your mind is, how would these people know that God is sovereign? Let me give you the answer. Because the Bible tells them. Psalm 115.3 says this, our God is in the heavens. He does everything that pleases him. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours could be thwarted. Over and over and over again, the Bible declares something to us about God and it's that our God is in control. He's the sovereign Lord of heaven and of earth and your life and mine. And so as these individuals live in a world that seems to be falling apart, They begin their prayer in light of who God is. He's a God who's in control even when they aren't. And move on. Look what else they say. They say, sovereign Lord, now look at this in verse 24, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God is in control. God is creator. Now, how would they know that God is creator? Genesis 1-1, right? One of the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God, what? Created. What did he create? Everything. The Bible, over and again, declares that God is the creator of all that exists. He's the creator of heaven and earth and all who dwell in it. And here they are in this situation where they're powerless and they continue their praying, not only with a declaration that God is in control, but he is the God who has unlimited power to begin whatever he desires to begin. So so let's just put this together really quickly. They begin their praying and their first things they pray are declarations of who God is as he's revealed in his word, the Bible. Okay, let's keep moving on. Second thing they do is they pray in light of what God says in his word, the Bible. Look at verses 25 and 26. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. Stop right there. You may not know that, but that is a direct quote from Psalm 2.2. They move from who God is as he's revealed in the Bible, and they move right into what God says in his word, the Bible. They, they, they pray back, not because they're reminding God of something he said and he forgot, but because they're going to align what they pray with what God has said. They recall what God has done and what he said in his word. Look at verses 27 and 28. It says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, stop right there. What did Herod and Pontius Pilate do? You guys remember? They murdered Jesus, right? They, they murdered Jesus. And these men pray, these women pray. This church prays and says, Herod and Pontius Pilate were in this city and they still are. And they did whatever your hand had planned and predestined to take place. They recall that Jesus Christ died on the cross that he's buried and rose again. And they say, hey, that wasn't an accident. That was the plan of God from the very beginning. Now let me ask you this question. How would these people know that that was the plan of God from before the beginning? Because the word of God says it is. You guys can write this down. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I'm going to read this to you. And I want you to just think about this. Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before Jesus was even born, let alone crucified and raised again. And I want you to hear what the Bible says 700 years before Jesus is born, he lives, and he dies. This is what Isaiah 53, 3 says. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now listen to verse 10, Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put Christ to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. 
the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The word of God 700 years before Jesus is born, I love this, is written like it's the day after the crucifixion. And it's a declaration, this is the will of almighty God. And so the church gathers to pray and they know everything that happened in and around the death of Jesus was entirely God's plan because they knew it from God's word. So they prayed. They prayed confidently in light of who God is as he's revealed in his word and they pray confidently in light of what God says as it's revealed in his word. And then I want you to notice, because they're praying in alignment with who God is and what God said in his word, they ask God with incredible confidence. Look at verses 29 through 30, and I want you to just notice how they make their request before God. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Stop right there. Two things they request from God. First of all, God, look. That word look means concern yourself with this. Watch over this. And the second thing they ask is God, grant us boldness, the power to speak boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me, just, let me just show you a couple things about those two requests. The first one is this. They made those requests with boldness because they prayed in alignment with what God had already said about who he is and what he'll do. Now, now just think about this. They say, God, look upon this. Concern yourself with our lives And they pray that knowing God had already said he was going to concern himself with their lives because of who he is. It's all over the passages of scripture that many of us have heard throughout our whole lives. Take Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He, listen, his rod and his staff are with us and comfort us because he is near us, watching over us like a good shepherd to the point it says that he will prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies and anoint my head with oil and my cup will overflow and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because God is watching over me as my shepherd. When they say, God, look, watch over us, concern yourself, they are praying in alignment with who God says he is in his word and what God has promised he would do in the scripture. And when they say, grant to your servants boldness, remember Jesus has just told them in Acts 1.8, and you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon me and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the world. They request for God to do something that's in alignment with what Jesus just promised them in Acts 1.8. So we see in their requests that they're praying even what they're requesting God to do in alignment with what God says about who he is and what he'll do in his word. 
to the extent that the way they form their request just jumps out at me. They're so convinced that what they're asking is in alignment with who God is and what he says that they request and it's not even a question. You guys notice that? When they pray, it's not a question. They don't say, God, will, 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 you, will you please, will you please look over here and notice what's going on in our life? Hey, God, would you, as long as it's okay with you and doesn't make you mad, I'm not trying to be selfish here, Lord, but would you, would you give us, would you please give us boldness? Do you notice they don't pray like that? As a matter of fact, they don't even make it a statement. God, I, I'm asking you, I would like you to look at my life. God, I, I want you to give me, they don't, even, they don't even do that. So far, they go so far that they don't ask the question and they don't just make it a statement. The word look and the word grant are imperatives. Now, if you know anything about language, you know that imperatives are the command words of language. They use words that are actually commands. Now, now I want to be careful and don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. They're not telling God what to do like he's their cosmic butler, right? They're, they're not commanding God as though they're in the place of authority over him. That's, that's not what they're commanding God like. I actually, I even hesitate using the word command. I think we need a new word in our vocabulary to describe this. And so I spent some time this week trying to think of a new word and I wasn't very creative. Here's what I came up with, okay? They tell ask God. It's hyphenated, but it's still, it's just a new word. They tell ask God. They tell him what to do. They tell God what to do. They do it with respect and reverence. They actually do it in a way that honors him as a holy father. They, they tell ask him when they pray. And as I was thinking about it, it reminded me of a dynamic in my life. Am I the only parent here who has children that tell him what to do? Right? You ever? So here's the deal. My kids tell me what to do. Um, now, there's a kind of telling that would get them in steep trouble, Right? Right? There's a kind of telling dad what to do that, that get them on the hot seat really quickly, if you know what I mean. There's another kind of telling, though, that I absolutely love, that, that honors me for who I am and what I've said to them. It's, it's what I'd call tell-ask. So when my kids are in, in trouble, when my kids are, are being threatened, when, when they, they want dad, when they need dad, they, they don't say, uh, hey, dad, uh, I'm hurt. If you get a moment sometime in the future and it's according to your will, would you come by and see how I'm, they don't do that, do they? They say, dad, help. They tell ask me, dad, help. Even, even more than that, my kids know something. Anytime that they want a hug, all they got to do is ask. And my kids normally don't say, hey, dad, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to make you mad. I'm really not trying to make you mad. Do you think it would be okay if it's according to your will that, you would, that you'd hug me? They don't do that. They say, dad, give me a hug. One of my daughters actually says, hey, big guy, get over here and give me a hug. <laughs> what do you think I do? I say, what do you mean by big? And then I, and then I say, you know what I do. 
Do you think it dishonors me when my children tell, ask me, give me a hug, big guy? No, it doesn't dishonor me. You know what would actually dishonor me? It would dishonor me if my kids were so fearful and knew me so little that the way they asked for a hug or the way they asked for help made it sound like I wasn't just ready and waiting to pour it out. You see, my kids actually believe something about who I am because they believe something I've already said. My kids have heard me say dozens of times, I'm a machine, right? I'm a machine, and what do I run on? What's my backup battery? I'm a machine that runs on love, and I have a backup battery that runs on ice cream. That's, that is the statement. When the love battery's low, the ice cream battery, I run on love. Give me a hug. I love it. Let me ask you this. How much more do you believe that's true about our Father in heaven? He's honored, not disrespected. When we believe who he is and we believe what he said and we don't just shuffle around, we confidently tell, ask him to do what we need him to do. Once you see this, it becomes evident all over the scriptures. I'm I'm not gonna go there. You guys can write this down. This is a great one. Daniel chapter nine, Daniel prays. And when he prays, his prayer is filled with tell asking. He makes these kind of commands to God. He says, listen, make your face shine. Incline your ear, open your eyes. See our desolations. Hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord. Pay attention. Can you imagine telling God to pay attention? Pay attention and act. Do not delay, he says. Why does he say that? Because he's just read in Jeremiah that God has promised to do those things because of who he is and what he endeavors to do. And so Daniel doesn't just quiver around not knowing what to say. He takes the word of God and he makes it his prayer and he asks in confidence. He tell-asks God to do those things. One more example. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he gives us several requests. Have you ever noticed how Jesus tells us to pray those requests? He doesn't say, when you pray, pray like this, Lord. Could you possibly, if you have time, give me some bread today, maybe? And if, if you are so inclined, would you forgive me of my trespasses? I would, I would love it, Lord, but I mean, I, I know it's asking a lot, but if you didn't lead me into temptation, and if you see to it, maybe you could, if you don't mind, get, just deliver me from some evil, that's not how he teaches us to pray, is it? He tell asks, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's not disrespecting God. It's taking it, him at his word for who he says and what he's promised to do. So if you want to pray with confidence in your life and see the power of God displayed in and through you, you need to know this. Confidence in prayer comes when you pray in alignment with who God is and what he says in his word. We call this scripture-based praying. Many of us learned how to pray from something I call request-based praying. 
I gathered in rooms my entire life. And when it came time to pray, we wondered what should we pray about? And so we asked this question, does anybody have any requests? Half of them were unspoken. I never quite knew what to say about an unspoken request. I'll unspeak your request, I guess. But we began to pray, and in my life, I learned to pray by saying, here's my list of what I'd like to see done. And something in me never quite felt fulfilled in praying because those caveats of Scripture, this is our confidence before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, We have what we ask because he hears us. How do I know whether he wants me to have the red Ferrari or the yellow one? I don't know how to pray. No, we know his will when we know his word. And when we pray in alignment with his word, we're praying in alignment with his will. And I'm not saying we don't have prayer requests. We should have prayer requests. But the word of God teaches us what to pray in those requests. To the extent that even when it comes to us praying about things that we're not certain how God will respond. So for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prays three times that a thorn in the flesh would be removed from him. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient. Or even Jesus in the garden prays that this cup of suffering would pass from him. And he still says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There will be those moments in our life where we pray and we ask specifically, and we don't know 100% what it is that God desires to do. There is a big difference in starting and and making the foundation for our prayers what we want versus starting and making the foundation of our prayers who God is and what God says. And there is great confidence, friends, when you pray in alignment with who God is and what he says in his word. And so the question becomes, do you want to know how to pray? You're holding it. You're holding it. Pray the word of God. Breathe it in and breathe it back out in praise and prayer. If you grab your worship guides, inside the worship guide, we've gone through this as pastors. About a month ago, we walked through this passage and we actually decided to draw belief statements or truth statements about who God is directly from this passage of scripture. And what I wanna encourage you to do is this week, would you pray every day this week in light of who God is as revealed in his word, even just in this text. There are seven statements here. You can do one per day. I'm just gonna read them out loud. You find them with uh, references in the, the info guide. It says, God is sovereign. God is the creator. God speaks through his word, the Bible. God has a plan and it includes our pain. God does the impossible for the glory and through the work of Jesus God hears and responds to prayer, and God is giver. You see those in this passage. I want to encourage you this week, would you take one of those each day and form your praying 
out of those truths. If you follow us on social media, you'll find uh, throughout the week, uh, we'll be posting various passages of scripture that go along with this, various forms of prayer that go along with this. But I wanna encourage you, would you pray and fast as the spirit leads this week in alignment with who God says he is in his word? Because when you pray in alignment with the word of God, you can pray with confidence that it is the will of God. And here's how we wanna do that before we go this week. We wanna, we wanna actually practice this. And we wanna pray for the individuals in our church family, for those of you that are gathered here this morning, we wanna pray for those that are affected by the furlough. I know that many of you are in a situation that's out of your control and your life is deeply affected by that. And just like the early church was deeply affected by a situation in their community that was beyond their control, so are you. And we wanna gather in this place as a people of prayer who practice praying the word of God. So what I wanna ask you to do is if you are affected, maybe your job specifically, maybe a family member's job, but if you are directly affected by the furlough, I wanna ask if you feel comfortable, would you come forward? Would you come forward this morning? You can go ahead and come right now. If you are affected by the furlough, we wanna pray over you. Would you, would you come forward? As they make their way down front and others join them, if you're affected by this, I wanna open this up to those that are, that are without a job. Some of you are looking for work and have, have been without work and that's something that you want us to pray about. Would you come forward as well? I wanna encourage those who don't have jobs, those who are affected by the furlough. If you guys would come forward. And we wanna pray for you. And so church family, those of you who feel comfortable, would you gather around these individuals? If you would come and gather around them, be their brothers and sisters, be the church to them. I wanna gather around them and we wanna practice this. We wanna pray with confidence about the thing that's going on in our community. And we wanna come before the Father, claiming with boldness the truths of who he is and the truths of what he has said in his word, the Bible. So as you gather around these individuals, I'm gonna pray and you, I ask, would just go ahead and begin praying and let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we praise you that you're the sovereign God. You're in control. Lord, you're in control. You're in control of this furlough. You're in control of the government. God, you're in control of all the branches of our government and the individuals who occupy those roles. You are the sovereign God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords and you rule, not our leaders. And so God, we praise you because you're the sovereign Lord over it all. And God, you're the creator. You made them, you made us, and you begin new things. And so God, begin a new thing in these families. Whatever it is that's going on, especially those who are without jobs, God, begin a new thing in them. Show off your creative power by starting something new in their work, in their home, in their lives. Show your ability to create and recreate. God, speak. Speak to them. May your word be living and active in their lives as they're walking through this season. Father, we acknowledge they need more than just our words of encouragement. They need you and you are the God who speaks. So Father, I pray you'd release your word with power in their lives. God, make your name great as they hear your voice. Father, you are the God who has a plan. Just like you 
predestined before the foundation of the world the work he would do through Jesus. God, you have a plan for us. And we claim that by faith, that this too is part of your plan. God, I ask you with confidence to let us rest in your sovereign will. Your plan includes our pain. And so we give this to you. We trust you with it. We know your will will be done. Father, you're the God who does the impossible. And so we come to you knowing that your hands are not tied here. And we, we, we by grace, tell, ask you to give boldness to these families. While you stretch out your hand and signs and wonders are performed in them and through them by the name of Jesus, show your ability to do the impossible. Provide every need. God, you are giver. You are the one who gives. And so give daily bread to these families. God, you're the one who hears and responds to prayer. And so we praise you in advance knowing you hear us. You're a good father. And Lord, we, we praise you. It's our, it's our joy to open our eyes and look around our lives and wait to see how you respond to this praying. Father, sustain us. Give us perseverance to continue faithful, steadfast, fervent, confident in prayer as we offer back to you praise for who you are and petition in light of all you've said. Father, we ask these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.